Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Hey, everyone, this is Jim Baker from Doing Ministry Well, and you're listening to Engaging Missions. Welcome to the Engaging Missions show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of the Engaging Missions show. I'm your host, Brian Ensminger, and today, instead of having our regular interview, I'm going to take a little bit of a break as we're here for Thanksgiving. I want to make sure that I always provide the very best for my guests, and I find that a lot of times during the holidays, downloads drop off as people are traveling, which I fully understand. So instead of doing a regular interview, I thought I'd share something that I shared at our church um, a Last year in July, 2014 in July, it's a little bit of my story, a little bit of insight into my life, and I thought it only fair, since I'm sharing interviews with missionaries and I ask them some tough questions, maybe I should share a little bit with you. So if you're not interested in that, I totally understand. Stop by next week after Thanksgiving, we'll have our regularly scheduled interview. And if this is something that interests you, I sure hope that you enjoy it. This is just something I'm doing for you. I've known Brian Ensminger. He would know the exact year. I don't know the exact year. It's been about 20 years. It's been in that neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, during that time, I've seen, uh, I've seen him go through some real hard stuff. And I've seen him go through some really wonderful stuff. And, uh, and I've seen him persevere and stand on the word and be a man of God. And so a few years ago, when the elders of this church who at one time were going, we need some gray-headed people, begin to look around the room and realize that was all we had were gray-headed people in the in the eldership. Uh, and we were going, we need some people who aren't gray-headed. The f- first name that popped up was Brian Ensminger, and uh, it was a slam dunk. Uh, he's deep in the Word. He's solid in the way that he uses it. And... I've really never heard this man share, but that I haven't really gotten something out of and went, boy, that was worth listening to. Uh, and so I'm excited for what we're going to have tonight. Would you welcome Brian Ensminger? <laughs> of course, uh, shortly after we went after people without gray hair, he just cut all his hair off. So that may. Well, that's. Excellent timing. My iPad went dark just as I got up here. How awesome is that? So I'm really blessed to be here tonight. I'm honored beyond imagination. Seth, did you notice that they sang one of your favorite verses? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. Today I'm standing on that one because I need the Spirit of the Lord to be upon me, to anoint me, to bring his word. Um, so have, have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Have, 
I can honestly say that I've gotten something out of every single session except for Justin. And that's because I wasn't here. So it's not his fault. <laughs> but I, I am glad to be here. Um, I am distinctly aware that when I came to Christ, I entered a long line of people who are totally messed up and saved by nothing but grace. And I, I totally see that in my life. And it's, part of that is the reason I was a little bit surprised when Pastor Barbie said that she thought I should be part of this series. In fact, my first response was, do you know how old I am? <laughs> because I feel, as Paul might have written, that as one um, untimely born, I feel a little bit like a late bloomer. I'm definitely the grandfather of the guys that have been up here so far. Not that they're my grandkids. That's that's not where we're headed. But I do feel uh, blessed, nonetheless, to be here. Um, and I want to kind of key in on that messed upness. About 2000, it would have been the fall of 2000, probably September or October, I was just a couple years back into the church. I had been raised in church, and then I took some time off and tried my own hand at driving my own life and ended up off in a ditch, which was wonderful. Yeah. And about 2000, I was not exactly living the dream. I was living in an apartment with two male roommates and working in a quick service restaurant. And to be quite frank, I was a little bit jealous of my brother who was, um, who was a youth pastor and was happily married and had just taken a team over to England on a mission trip. And when they got back, he sent me a CD of all of the, the pictures that were on there. And I, it was, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. I was kind of going through these pictures and there was one that really stood out to me. And that's, that's kind of the foundation for one, what I want to share with you tonight. And um, as I was flipping through these pictures, this one stood out. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful or insensitive, but this was a picture of a group of children. And there was one child who was very clearly handicapped. He was in a wheelchair. It was clear that he had been through some kinds of surgeries. Um, you know, it was clear that he had some motor control skills and, and he, he just had some challenges. And at that time, the only thing I can attribute this to is the Holy Spirit, because the thought that came into my mind was so contrary to who I was at the time. And the thought was, I bet his dad loves him. I bet his dad cares about him. In the eyes of his father, he is deeply loved, even though he has all of these challenges. And it was clear that he had been through some kinds of surgeries, that he'd probably been through therapy. He had this motorized wheelchair, so somebody had invested in his ability to get around, to do the things the way he wanted. His father loved him as he was, and yet loved him so much that he would do everything that he could to make it so that child could interact with the world. And at that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you're that child. You see, I was dead, and now I'm alive. I'm in Christ, and in Christ I am per perfect in being perfected, but the image of Christ that you see in me is marred. I am not currently living the life that God would have had me live, and yet the Father loves me in the same way that he loves you, and the Father invested a price in me in bringing me back to life, just like he did in you. And the father also lined up some therapy for me. 
And the therapy is what we want to key in on tonight. In our journeys, there are these times when God interacts with us in almost a surgical sense, that he does things that we can't do. But there are also these times in our lives when he gives us the opportunity to be part of what he's doing. And that's where we're headed. Now, I'm going to talk about therapy, and I want, to, I want you to know that what I'm doing is I'm using it as an analogy. So in our lives, in, in, medical, in the medical world, when we go through therapy, there is effort applied, whether it's effort by someone else to help us move our joints and get, our, get everything working, or whether it's effort that we apply. There is this effort that's, a, that, that's used, and it, by itself, this therapy doesn't necessarily accomplish anything. It doesn't make us human. It doesn't necessarily make us healthy. If, you know, I can do whatever therapists have people do to strengthen hurt muscles or to make joints work. But if I don't have that problem, it doesn't actually do anything in my life other than the fact that I'm working it. They can also, like I said, strengthen these places of weakness. They can also teach us skills and abilities. You know, if I couldn't lift my arm and a therapist had me work on this arm lifting thing until I did it, He's either teaching me how to do this or he's reteaching me how to do this. In the same way, in our spiritual lives, if you will, there are therapies or practices that we can do. The practices in themselves don't make us holy. They don't make us saved. They don't make us beloved by God. But they do help realign things. They do help strengthen things. They do help bring us into submission with God. I want to read a little bit of a quote because, as, as some of you have probably figured out by now, what we're talking about is spiritual disciplines. And I've reframed them as practices or therapy because, frankly, some of us have a little bit of baggage about spiritual disciplines. Maybe in our lives they weren't conduits of grace or conduits of life. And so I don't want us to think of them that way right now. And th this is from uh, a devotional that I've been going through by Billy Graham. He said, in the world in which we live, we give most attention to satisfying the appetites of the body and practically none to the soul. Consequently, we are one-sided. We become fat physically and materially, while spiritually we are lean, weak, and anemic. The soul actually demands as much attention as the body. It demands fellowship and communion with God. It demands worship, quietness, and meditation. Unless the soul is fed and exercised daily. It becomes weak and shriveled. It remains discontented, confused, and restless. So here's the invitation a little bit early. Is there a place in your life where you're discontented, where you're confused, or where you're restless? As we go through this, my hope is that the Holy Spirit will enlighten you to something that he would have you either do or not do, so that there's space in God, for God in your life to work. Okay? Now, I do want to give a little bit of a brief frame, framework for spiritual practices or spiritual therapy. Um, and this is coming from a, a number of books. I'll share with you a couple of resources in a minute, because we're just going to kind of blow by some of this. It's, I don't have the time to really do this any justice. Historically, these, this spiritual therapy or these practices are divided into two basic groups. There's a lot of ways to divide them, but there are two basic groups. One is stuff you do, and the other one is stuff you don't do. All right. Now, they have big names that, honestly, they mean things, and I don't really understand them, so I remember them as stuff you do and stuff you don't do. I have to make things simple. So stuff you do might be things like fellowship 
or service or adoration or evangelism. Okay, these are things that you might do as a practice, as a therapy in your life to be strengthened in that area. Or God might use them to strengthen you in another area. Sometimes he does that. But stuff you don't do, right? This is the other side. And it's going to seem a little bipolar at first, but I think we're going to tie it together. Stuff we don't do might be taking a Sabbath or the discipline of solitude or quietness or, I wrote these down so I wouldn't forget, private prayer, meditation, study, simplicity. All of these are things where we might step away from or stop something. So these are the things that we don't do. Now, these are kind of considered historically the fundamental practices, but I want to just kind of pop the lid on that. There are more practices in our life that are spiritual disciplines or spiritual therapy. And I, I would, from my view, anything that God calls us to, whether for a season or for the rest of our lives, that he wants to use as a place to strengthen us, to draw us closer to him, to lead us and conform us to the image of Christ, is a spiritual practice. Right. So I don't want us to limit this. And, and here's part of the reason, because we say something like spiritual discipline, and the first things we think about are what? Prayer, reading the word. When I think about spiritual discipline, the first thing I think about is fasting and solitude. And yeah, that's pretty much it, fasting and solitude. Now, I know that there are more. I've studied, and I know that there are more. But those are the two, right? And on some level, that's kind of my default, right? Because... My personality, I don't tend to be the gregarious type. So for me to withdraw is in many ways easier and strengthening, while for others, someone else it might not be. But on the other side, uh, fasting is not necessarily the easiest one for me. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I also want to just talk about the lesser known disciplines of things we don't do. How about the discipline of not saying anything when someone talks about your favorite political candidate? Or the discipline of not honking at me if I accidentally cut you off in traffic. Yeah. All right, this, this, one's, this one's easy for me, right? How about not yelling at the TV when the ref makes a bad call? No issue for me, but maybe for some of you. And that, oh, here's a fun one. Isn't this something that we like to do, right? We like to key in on the thing that's easy for us as though everyone, it should be easy for everyone. It's easy for me not to yell at the, the ref because I don't care. <laughs> I don't. Right? But there are things that I care about that you think, who, who cares about that at all? Right? It's, it's how God's wired us. It's how he's made us. But sometimes we need to do these disciplines. Now, I want to also talk about a couple of the lesser known disciplines of stuff that we do. So how about the discipline of preferring one over yourself? Maybe by holding the door for them or by grabbing an umbrella and running out to their car to get the car of a mother with a young child while it's raining outside. That might not be something that you can do as a practice over a long haul, but maybe it's something that God has called you to, right? How about the discipline of speaking a word of encouragement when you could speak a word of not-so-encouragement, right? I also want to talk just briefly because I did mention that these can seem bipolar, right? We've got the disciplines of stuff that we do and the stuff that we don't do. So we've got solitude and we've got fellowship, right? So what am I supposed to do? And it can seem in our lives like we're constantly going back and forth, like we're this crazy pendulum, constantly going back between you know, stuff that we do and stuff that we don't do and stuff that we do and stuff that we don't do. And it can seem like we're zigzagging all over the place. I believe that's by design. 
See, one of the things that I know because I was a bit of a nerd as a child was that when a sailboat wants to sail against the wind, what they do is they pick a course and then they go back and forth like this and they reset the sails. And so they're constantly going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And if you were, if you didn't know what they were doing, you're thinking they're zigzagging all over the ocean. But what they're doing is they're going that course. And I believe God does that in our lives as well. I trust that he does it in my life. Now, again, I, I told you I don't have the time. In fact, I'm trying to watch the time. I got a new timer for my phone, and it shut off, so we're going to stop. Yeah. It was free. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't have time to really cover these in depth, so I want to point you to a few resources. If, if this is starting to inspire you, you might think of a few books. Uh, one that's been really formational in my life is The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Now, his book focuses a lot on the mechanics of some of the traditional disciplines or the traditional practices of the spiritual life. Things like meditation, things like solitude, things like thanksgiving and, and generosity. All right. Another really good one. It's a little bit heady. It's, it, in fact, it was tough for me to digest and it took me a really long time to get to where I did in it, but it's an excellent book is Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Uh, this one talks a lot. It lays a framework. He talks about these things as being a framework in our lives of almost like a vine going up a trellis. And what it does is until the vine is strong enough to stand where it needs to be, this trellis holds it in place. And that's how it is in our lives. It gives us this ability. God, it gives God the space to help us to grow and to be who he's created us to be. And then one other, if you're looking for a free option, is Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. If you search for it online, you can find it for free as a download. Any one of these three should help you get started. Now, none of these three books will do it all for you, right? These books aren't a magic bullet any more than I am because it's the Holy Spirit in our lives, his guiding, his directing, his strengthening and empowering that works in our lives. And what I'd like to do is kind of, I've laid a little bit of a foundation, and now I would like to kind of just share some of the things that I've learned throughout my life. and. Just to be completely blunt, some of these are hard-fought battles in my life. And my hope is that you can pick them up and not have to go through what I went through. A lot of times we hear things like, you know, uh, wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from bad decisions or those kinds of things, right? Well, my hope in your life is that your wisdom can come from my experience. Now, th this is one that's easy to get into. Spiritual practices are necessary to be conformed to the image of Christ in terms of walking out our salvation. However, they don't always have to be hard. So we, we have this perception that God only calls us to the hard things. But Jesus says that we should come to him if we're weak and we're heavy laden and he'll give us rest, that we should take his yoke upon us because it's easy and light. So I just want to give that to you as, as a framework, as a guidepost in your life to, to go, it doesn't have to be hard. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't, doesn't require work. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that, um, that he beats his body into submission, that as any person who trains for an event, he, they want to run and they want to win that thing, and he wants to train in such a way that he's not disqualified. In the same way, we do that. So we do discipline ourselves, and sometimes that means doing difficult things, but it doesn't always mean it's hard. Right? It's not about our strength. It's about God's strength. I also want to just remind you that the purpose of all of this, the, the reason we're talking about this and the purpose of 
that God has given us for these disciplines is life and freedom. In, uh, in Galatians 5, it talks about how it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. In fact, um, the, the writer goes on to say that we should stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that's going to kind of lead into one of the stories that I'm going to share in just a second. Um, yeah. So it's possible in trying to walk to freedom that we can put ourselves into slavery by what we choose to do. There was a season in my life, uh, this would have been, oh, probably 10 years ago now. I can't, as you get older, the, na- the dates kind of fade. It's kind of like names, right? And start forgetting names about half the time you get through the story. Um, so this would have been about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Um, I was at a season in my life where I really wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be important. I wanted to accomplish something. And I was looking for the things that I could do to do that. And at the time, I knew of a missionary in Central America. And one of the things was he required everybody on his staff and his whole ministry team, they would fast every other day. I thought, well, maybe there's something there. And I also knew that we had an elder at the church at the time. He's no longer with us. But I knew that he, for a season at least, had been fasting two to three days a week. And I thought, well, maybe there's something there. And so I had this mishmash in me. I think that there was a portion of God-given desire. And I think there was a portion of my heart in there. And all of this, and I decided to walk in a discipline of fasting. And so for about a year, I fasted one day a week. And there were times when God did amazing things in my life. There were times of revelation and deep intimacy with God. But toward the end, I think that God stopped and I didn't because I wasn't paying attention. See, this had become a part of my identity. I started looking to this thing to sanctify me. I started looking to this thing to become that place of strength. And instead of being a thing that we shared between us, it became a thing that stood between us. It became something that I was doing out of ritual. And if you're ever running around in circles, you know that the best way to stop is to run faster, right? Well, I did that until I got to the place where I just couldn't continue. And I don't share this with you so that you won't fast, but I want you to, what we're going to do is kind of dissect this story from my life, and we're going to take a look at some guideposts that I'm hoping you can apply to your life. I did lay down fasting. In fact, even now, Fasting is a place of brokenness in my life. It's something that I have a challenge walking in. And if somebody tells me that we should fast in this, you know, for a season or for something, it's not that I don't want to be submitted or I don't want to hear from them, but there's a place where I have to know that I know that I know that I know that it's from God. I'm not saying that's how I should walk. I'm saying that's where I am. And so my hope is that as we look at this story, that you can maybe pick something up. And it doesn't have to be about fasting, right? That's just the story from my life. First thing I learned, well, we won't necessarily go in order. First thing I want to talk about that I learned is that none of these practices are magic bullets. None of these necessarily have any power for good in themselves. They are all tools in God's hand, but in the hands of anybody else, they might be tools for torture. These don't establish our identity. We'll talk about that more in a second. They don't cause our growth. They don't give us strength. The Holy Spirit does all of that. And I want to get this right, so I wrote it down. These disciplines or practices 
disconnected from the grace God has given us through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit become at best wasted effort and at worst idolatry. So let's go back to that time about me fasting. Again, this is my story. I'm not saying don't fast. When it became about that thing and that thing became came between me and God and I chose to continue in that thing, God was faithful. But I'm convinced that it was a point of idolatry in my life for a while. Okay? Because I was, in a sense, serving that thing. I wasn't listening to God. Oh, yeah, I think I do have time. So um, these practices or these therapies, they have value in preparing us, in conforming us to the image of who Christ is and who God has called us to be. They don't have any value beyond that. And this is, I think, where I got tripped up, right? So if you think about somebody who, let's use strength training, because that's, I think a lot of us understand that. So if I wanted to be a football player, one of the things that I would have to do is strength training. I would have to lift weights. I'd have to do flexibility exercises. I'd have to do all that stuff, right? But if my life ever becomes about, and let's assume that I'm supposed to be a football player, right? If my life ever becomes about the weight training, if I start looking at myself and I go, well, I can lift this much, I can do this, I start measuring myself by my ability to do this thing, I may lose my ability to be an effective football player. See, the people that train themselves to look good and to be able to lift lots of weights are people who want to look good and lift lots of weights, right? But the people... If, to make it even more ridiculous, if Bruce Lee had lifted weights to be a buff, I don't know, bodybuilder, he would not have been able to do the things that he did because his body would have gotten in the way. So these provide value for us as long as we remain connected to why God has us doing it. Sometimes he doesn't tell us, so even more than that, we have to stay connected to him and listen to him. We also have to pay attention to the seasons in our lives. This is one, This is again, from the, the story in my life, right? I think there was a season where I was called to fast this way, but I stopped paying attention to the reality of my life. So everybody knows the song that was kind of ripped off from Ecclesiastes 3, right? In everything, turn, turn, there's a season. There's a season for this and a season for that, a season for this, a season for that. Well, I was in the season for that, and I thought I was still in the season. I'm sorry, season for that, and I thought I was still in the season for this. And so I kept operating, operating that way. We can't expect our lives to be a set it and forget it. Right? If you, you can't just set a cruise control and go, okay, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Now, you have to be maybe okay to go, okay, God, if you've called me to this for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. But you can't just go, okay, I'm good. We're just going to keep doing that, right? Because it doesn't work that way. God didn't call us to be... Oh, I can't. I can't think of a way to phrase this nicely. God didn't call us to be robots where He sets us on a course and we just go like that. God called us to be His children, His sons, and His daughters. He called us to be His friends. He called us to be His bride. And there's that element of relationship. See, let's go. We're going back again to that love thing, right? All of this comes because of the Father's love for us. Not for his desire for us to go off and do something. It comes from his desire for love for us. Oh, this is another one about the seasons in our lives. There can sometimes be this sense, and this was a sense in my life. 
So I'm, again, it's from my experience, but I assume that I'm not the only person. Sometimes we, um, we start to con- be concerned about the constraints. So we think about these seasons. Wow, I got to get moving now. We, we, we think about these seasons and how God is interacting in our life. And we go, well, wait a minute, my life shifted. How am I going to work this in? And my life shifted again. How am I going to work this in? My life shifted. And then we start complaining about the constraints in our lives. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do this. The constraints are a gift of God's grace too. See, they teach us that we can't do it all. They teach us that we can't just assume that we know what we're supposed to do and then just go off and do it. They teach us that we have to rely on God. And my suggestion would be when you run into that place, be honest with God. Just go, God, I feel like you're calling me to this but I can't figure out how to work it out. Is this something you want me to continue in? Is there something that you want me to lay down? I, uh, now I'm trying to figure out what to cut. Yeah, we'll just kind of... So I mentioned that it's not about the practices. So the question is, what is it about? It's not even necessarily about maturity. What it's about is Jesus. See, it's always about Jesus. Everything in our lives is about Jesus. If we think about the sacraments, about communion, about baptisms, they're about Jesus. If we think about our relationships, they're about Jesus. If we think about worship and prayer, they're about Jesus. Our solitude is about Jesus. Our service is about Jesus. Our generosity is about Jesus. If it's ever about us or anything other than God, it's moved from being a spiritual practice to being something else. I don't want to fill in the blank for you because I don't necessarily know what it is in your life, but it's something else. So let's talk a little bit about God's part in all of this. First off, God initiates and we respond. See, one of the places that we get it wrong is we go, I want to accomplish this, so I'm going to do that. Well, maybe, but maybe the more important thing is to go, God, I I feel like you're calling me to do this. What would you have me do? See, when, I'm not saying that God doesn't use those times as conduits of grace. Many times in my life he has, although it's usually been to show me that I was wrong to do it that way. That too is a gift of grace. To realize that you're wrong and have God reframe your life in such a way that you're more in line with him is a gift of grace. But if we can do it right, how much the better? So God initiates, we respond. Also, it's always about God's timing, right? So I remember this would have been... 1998, well, it would have been spring of 99, so right after I had come back to the church, after my brief hiatus of driving off into the ditch. And I remember I was sitting in my one-bedroom apartment in Murfreesboro, just a couple blocks off MTSU, where everybody was like a decade younger than me. And um, I was sitting there, and I was going, God, I think that you've got all of this stuff for me, all of this stuff for the rest of my life. And there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and I don't know how much of it's me, and I don't know how much of it's you, and I don't know how I'm going to do all this stuff that I think you're calling me to, and it was like God said, stop. You have your whole life to accomplish everything that I have for you. See, we have this tendency, at least in our culture, I don't know that other cultures have this because I don't live in them, but we have this tendency, I think, to try and get ahead. And by ahead, I mean get ahead of everybody else, get ahead of ourselves, as though that's possible, or get ahead of God, right? We want to we wanna know that we're the ones that made things happen. But in God's world, which we live in, he makes everything happen. It's all in his time. 
So we have, now this isn't a, a license to be lazy, to not do anything, but it's a reminder that we don't do it, he does, and if he promised it, it's in his time. Which brings me to yet another story of my confrontations with God. This was about a month before I turned 30. I was living by myself in Weary. I was living, I was working at a fast food restaurant and I was not jazzed about the situation. I was going, man, I'm turning 30 and nothing's working. And I remember going to God and saying, and I was a little bit blunt and I'm not afraid to say that I was because the psalmist was too. Um, I said, God, all these people keep telling me this thing is going to happen in my life. And it was specific to marriage. I really wanted to be married and have a family. And it's not that I doubt you, but I also recognize that there's a certain level, you know, there's ways that I'm interacting with this as well. So if there's anything in my life that's going to make this impossible, you just need to stop telling me because I can't deal with it. And his response to me was, I haven't forgotten. You have. And I have to keep reminding you because you keep forgetting. I was like, man. <laughs> but the word says that his kindness brings us to repentance. In that case, what brought me to repentance was a little bit of a rebuke and a whole lot of kindness because God said, no, you keep forgetting, so I'm going to keep reminding you. And I clung to that for a while. Um, and I got to move it. So if you are in any way struggling in your relationship with God right now, if there's a place of weakness or a place of disconnectedness or a place where you have a sense that you're maybe not open to what God would do in your life, I would just ask you to prayerfully consider if there's something that God would have you do or not do as a practice. I'm not saying that you need to pick something up. I'm not saying that you need to lay something down. What I'm saying is perhaps you should consider asking God. Um, I talked a little. Oh, I skipped a story. That's why this isn't going to make sense. Well, we'll skip that one. Okay. So back, back about the fall of 1998. I was just barely back in church, and I didn't have any friends, really. I was, I was working fast food. I was living by myself right off of MTSU. We talked about that. And sometimes I would just have to get out. I would just have to go for a walk. And I didn't intend for these to be necessarily times of communion with God. I just had to get out. But they became that. And God showed me some cool things while I was on those walks, but they became places where God infused grace in my life. And as I was coming into this year... I felt like, you know, with all the constraints in my life and all the things that I'd like to com complain about, that God was calling me back to those walks. Now, they're not the same. They're not the same consistency. But what I've started doing is taking a walk at lunch every once in a while. No agenda, not necessarily any prayer target, although sometimes there is. Believe me, we talked a lot about this thing that I'm doing right now on some of those walks. Um, <laughs> But those have become, again, a place of God's grace in my life. He's asked me to return to the things that I did at first so that he can do in my life the new things. It doesn't look the same. It's not necessarily the same. And I'm not looking for God to do the same thing in my life. What I'm looking for is that opportunity for him to create space in my life. So I would just ask you to prayerfully consider, is there something in your life that God would have you pick up or lay down? Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Missions show. Well, you know, I knew before I went to this country that it was going to be difficult. Um, I knew it would be difficult, but I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't know what that would look like. Uh, and sometimes it's, you know, 
you go to a country like this and you figure, oh, my biggest problem, my biggest fear, my biggest whatever is going to be the um, Muslim extremists or it'll be hostile government or whatever. But you don't realize that sometimes it's the compilation of the small things that wear on you, where um, the frustration of learning the language and the culture. Um, and we don't realize as Americans how ethnocentric we are. And it, it can, um, you, you know, you have these moments that they're not your finest, that um, it's like, no, you know, like, why aren't you understanding me? Why aren't, it's like, we feel like they should conform to our way when we have to conform to their way of thinking and communicating and, and just dealing with each other. And that can be really hard. And then there's just so many other things that, like, uh, where I live, um, we're constantly sick, constantly, whether food or water or, um, those things will wear on you and discourage you. Um, dealing with um, the mis misunderstandings and communication um, sometimes cause you, like they caused me to not be at my finest moment because um, you have a meltdown every now and then. You can, and that's just human. It's the human side. Um, you can get uh, very discouraged and very frustrated and sometimes the very people you love and you've left everything to go and to serve there are moments where it's just like ah, just Calgon take me away you know um, you have to work through those things and they're so difficult um, for us but I think you kind of go through cycles you know and that culture shock is probably that culture shock thing um, but God always has a way of turning things around and um, he gives you grace and he gives others grace where you need it. And um, yeah, because it's, it's extremely difficult to be out in a whole new culture, a whole new language, a whole new way of thinking and approaching things. It's probably one of the hardest things there is. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.